chapter 2 days, O Lord, on the third day of your spiritual calendar. In this year, you will revive us, O God, in the name of Jesus. You will revive your work, O Lord. You will revive your people, O Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. You will revive your work, O Lord. You will disturb the sleep of death. You will quicken the smoldering embers now. You will breathe by your almighty breath. And you will cause us to arise from our slumber, from our lukewarmness, from our place of contentment, and from our place of zeal that has faded away. And you will find us into ember in the name of Jesus Christ. You will return not only to raise us up to who we ought to be, to what we ought to be, to you, to the kingdom, and to the humanity that is watching and around and waiting and yearning for the express manifestation of the sons of God. Lord, as you revive us in power, you revive us in your presence, you revive us in your holiness. You will revive us, Lord, in fulfillment of potential that you have already declared on our behalf. Even as we come empty, that you may at each stage fill our cup with reviving fire and burning flame and ember that does not quench this year. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated, people of God. Good morning again and Happy New Year to those who are joining after January 1. And the Lord has already spoken good concerning you in the name of Jesus Christ. And may that be on the ascendancy and remaining to the glory of his name. That no lukewarmness, no sleep, no slumber, no lukewarmness, no remaining at the level where you've been, no bemoaning of what you can be, you will be roused up and raised to the level of glory to God with His visitation and the outpouring of His Spirit upon our individual lives, our families, our church, this community. And perchance as God in wrath remembers mercy upon our nation in the name of Jesus Christ. Our theme for the year and our vision is already boldly projected as we write the vision and make it plain and bold upon the table. And let everyone read. And everyone who reads should run, not sit, not slumber. Not remain at the same place. Run. Run. Be quickened. Run with that vision. And that's Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 2. O Lord, revive your work. And revive your work includes revive your people in the midst of years. In the midst of years make known and in wrath. Remember mercy. That's Habakkuk 3.2. But shall we just read this year theme and vision together? Already praying it into yourself. 
Oh Lord, revive your work. Oh Lord, revive your people in the midst of the years. In this 2020. And you can personalize it and say, revive me. Because I am your person, your people, part of your people. And we are simply asking the Lord this morning again, revive your work, O Lord. That's our heart cry, that's our heart desire. And that the Lord will mercifully grant us in the name of Jesus Christ. The book of Habakkuk is a book of three chapters. The book of Habakkuk was written by the prophet Habakkuk himself, and he wrote it between 679 and the year 648 BC. Again, that is about 2670 to about 2700 years ago. But as the cry was then, so is our cry, even now, more intense and much more yearning than him. And like we said on New Year Day, when we looked at the book of Hosea, and we say that Hosea wrote between 781 and 721 B.C. By 722-721 B.C., according to the prophecy of Hosea, because the people did not heed to return to the Lord, God carried out his promise if they did not repent. Uh, 722-721 B.C., we say the Uzziah prophesied to the northern kingdom. By that period, northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes, so to say, largely regarded to as Ephraim, ceased to exist. They were all carried into exile. It was only the southern kingdom, Judah, also commonly referred, that remained. So by the time Habakkuk was writing in 681, around 681, 279 to 648 BC, it was only the southern kingdom of Israel, otherwise known as Judah, that was in existence as an entity. God has spoken already, I am a covenant-keeping God. Bring your cup empty and fill it. I have no need and I despise lukewarmness, slumber, sleep. This year, I pray that we will also hit him and tend to be revived and raised up in the name of Jesus Christ. The theme of Habakkuk writing in these three chapters was asking God to vindicate his holiness and justice, to vindicate his character. And what had marveled and baffled Habakkuk was that this period had been a period when there had been a lot of impunity, wickedness, immorality, and sin, particularly on the side of the only existing part of Israel, Judah, the southern kingdom. And so Habakkuk, untypical of any other prophet, more than any other, in these three chapters engaged in a dialogue, a conversation with God. You will see him in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 1 say the burden of Habakkuk. You will see him in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 say I will stand upon my watch and wait till I hear what he will say to me. You will see him in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 1 say the prayer of Habakkuk upon Shigianot. I'm standing at my duty post. So Habakkuk engaged in a dialogue 
each time, pondering and telling God, I don't understand. How come that you are lying iniquity, sin, both of Judah, and much more so of a more wicked nation that you used to punish them to exist? Lord, arise and defend yourself. So it opens with an appeal to God to end the injustice on earth, especially Judah, in their immorality, in their sin, in their not taking heed from their northern neighbors who no longer existed until then. He was asking God to punish Judah for her immorality and for her sin. And God returns an answer back to him and therein already promises that a day of recompense, a terrible day of retribution was around the corner. And then when that day came, Judah would be punished by Babylon. And Babylon would invade Judah and carry her away into exile. We'll find that in Habakkuk 1, 1 to 11. Habakkuk now, perplexed, makes another plea, makes another case to God. From verses 12 to 17 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Of how right, how just it would appear for a just God who was of purer eyes than to behold the iniquity. That's in verse 13 of the Habakkuk chapter 1. To punish Judah with a more wicked Babylon. It was like God was saying he would use a godless military machine of Babylon then to punish a godly, seemingly godly nation like Judah. So God now answers him with more explanation and even more punishment to come. That we see in the second chapter of Habakkuk as he utterly waits upon his watch to get an answer. God did answer him. And in chapter 3, the prophet prays for Israel to be revived. The Lord, I have heard your speech. But Lord, we have also heard of your works and your work with our fathers before. Lord, revive your work in the midst of your people, in the midst of the years. Make known, make bare your mighty arm again. Revive us, and in your anger, and in your threat to punish in wrath, remember mercy. And so that was the plea of Habakkuk that now visits us in the year 2020. And as is the plea for Israel to be revived by Habakkuk, so is our prayer and desire today, this year, to be revived individually as a church and for revival to break upon us as a nation and in our land in the name of Jesus Christ. What is revival? What is revival? To revive, we have known and we will keep hearing, is to raise, is to bring to life, is to restore to life. Is to restore to what ought to be. If somebody was fainting and sometimes people poured water on him or sometimes they found him or sometimes they made way for air to come and suddenly he takes on breathing almost normally and gets up, you have revived him. So to bring to a state of life and not just existing but to live and live in the proper mood and live in full potential. And live as you ought to be. And live as you ought to be. Just as Hosea told us. 
existing in the sight of God, before him, righteous, holy, and away with any other dealings, and existing before man. As Romans 8.19 does say, that the earnest expectation of the creature, the earth, is waiting, groaning for the manifestation of the children of God. To be raised, to be revived, to be brought to the level that the Lord desires that you need to be. Revival is a season, is a visitation, is a time of God's visitation. We say that there's a revival in somebody's life. There's a revival in a church. There's a revival in a community, in a nation. It's a time of God's visitation. Manifestation of his presence, his power, his glory on any individual, on any group, on any society, on any church. God visits in his full glory. The power of God is there. The miracles are there. The lifestyle is on. And people know that there is something different happening. There is an awe that is daring. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. The children of Israel, especially those who now came over with our Lord Jesus into the new wave of the New Testament, of the new era, through our Lord Jesus Christ, witnessed waves and waves of God's visitation, revival, shaking not only of the individual selves, but also of the events and things that happened around them. Let's just take a look at Acts chapter 4 and go with me to where they prayed first. Verse 24. And when they had that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is therein is. And then let's go to verse 28. For to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching forth your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. That's a break of revival. That's a wave of revival. Spiritual, physical, material, affecting the community. And look at Acts chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, does no man join himself to them, but the people magnify them. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes 
both of men and women. A time of God's visitation on a life, on a church, on an assembly of believers, in a community, and maybe in a nation. And we desire, Lord, revive us in the name of Jesus. Let's have a time of reviving. A revival is a time of refreshing. Peter told them on that day of Pentecost in Acts 3.19. He says, repent and be ye converted, all of you, that your sins may be blotted out. And then you can clear the road that when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Revival is usually a time of refreshing. Refreshing spiritually. Refreshing every other means. Come, so to say. The society, the community is quieting. There is an eerie, awful feeling of the presence of the visitation of the Almighty. May you and I experience it in the name of Jesus. Revival is a time of renewed obedience and commitment to the Word of God and repentance from any sin, covertly or overtly, and any and every sin utmost reverential fear of God and a renewed manifestation of the power of God, of the presence of God, of the glory of God, and of the outpouring of the Spirit that can result not only in miracles and healings, but also in healing not only the believers, but also the society in diverse ways. We will see something of that nature if time allows us. With a case study of a city currently in this world. In southern America. Almalonga. Where the wave of revival that started in the mid 70s. Has continued till now. May you and I experience the salutary effect of revival in the name of Jesus. What is not revival? Revival is not necessarily that we organize any special program, like a weekend special program, as we may soon have God helping us, February 7 to 9, second weekend of the month of February, when we will have a weekend revival stroke teaching. We've already termed it that. But it's not necessarily that. It's not necessarily a program. A program may come and go, and there will be no reviving. People will still remain the way they are. God may still remain far. The people may have made noise and noise and shouted. They may have been 24-hour non-stop music. Lagos greater fiesta and Enugu smaller fiesta. They may have all gone on and yet nothing changes. No touch. So it's not necessarily that. Revival is also not a program that we suddenly say one Sunday is a Sunday revival service. It's beyond that. The service may still come and nothing about God is ever glorifying there. He may just have been men on stage. Revival is also not necessarily a crusade. Most times you see banners as they are cropping up now, beginning of year, end of year. If they are not announcing crusade, they are saying it's a revival. It's a time to gather together. Yes, the people may really gather together, 
but they may not in essence, in the true sense of the word, have a divine visitation that will leave everyone around them changed. Not only for that time, but for time and eternity to come and affecting the environment. Revival is beyond just programs. It's beyond just one day, two day, weekend affair. It's beyond any of them. We may tend them that for lack of words to explain what we want to do. We want a period of stirring up the church and a period of bringing us away from our slumber. True. If God eventually uses that channel to visit in such a way that everyone knows and feels impact, then he has gotten us a period of what? Revival. So revival is not brought about mechanically. It's not usually just planned or organized. We cannot say, even as we are pleading with God, today there will be revival starting. We have no power, no authority or temerity to say that. Why do we now say that? How does revival come? Revival comes by man's intense desire, hunger, and transparent lifestyle, and prayers. The hunger is perpetual. The prayer is unending. There is a passionate plea. God, we cannot remain the way we are. Things ought to change. My life will not remain the same. It's not just a one minute prayer. It may not even be a one hour prayer. It may not just be a day like you will see in the program for this year that you just purported a prayer day. Intense, passionate, hunger, desiring God and not relenting and the lie removing away every spot and every blemish that perchance as God wants to break in on his people. He will see iniquity and he will keep hanging. Because that is the only detestation to his being around to pray. Revival so comes by man's, you and I, intense desire, hunger. Lord, there need to be a chain, reviving, raising to what I ought to be. My spiritual state, I read the scriptures, I see what the first century Christians did. I see myself, I see my life, and I see that there is a far cry from where I ought to be. A far cry from what the church ought to be. And then you raise up that burden. And that's why Habakkuk had his own burden and remained upon his watch. It wasn't one that he would just do and joke away. He remained there to hear God answer again and again. And revival comes specifically by God's divine visitation. So there are two parts to any revival. Just like God has told us this morning, there are two parts to a covenant. There are two parties to a revival. There are two parties to a covenant. There's your part, my part, man's part. The yearning, the groaning, the desire, the hunger, the burning. Lord, change me. Change my situation. Lord, I want to experience your power and your touch. Lord, grant me understanding in clearer terms. And God, when he sees a yearning, a spark that will connect with him, he releases his visitation. And there's usually an evidence everywhere around. You don't need to announce it. You don't carry a badge. But there's no way that God breaks out in revival. And there's no life that God breaks out in revival that doesn't announce itself to the world. Praise the Lord. The Bible said, 
Even though Jesus went after being tempted by the devil in Luke chapter 4 from verse 14 to 18. But he went. He had gone on his own. He had been in waiting, in fasting, in prayer. He had defeated the devil roundly. He had cleansed himself, presented himself before the Father. The Bible said the moment he came out without a signboard, without a billboard, and without a radio jingle, and without all the other means of advertisement that modern day now possesses, his fame did what? Spread around. People knew there was a difference. There was a man who had come with the arrival of God's visitation. When should revival be desired, brethren? Is it a time? Is it a timetable? When should you as an individual desire revival? When should we as a church desire revival? When should a nation, when should a community desire revival? When complacency, when lethargy, when lukewarmness in our personal lives, in our congregational lives, in our work with God, set in. That's when we need revival. When we seem to become contented with just where we are, with just who we are now, can they walk, can they call for? Have you heard that language before? Some particular group of people speak it. But that's what many carry spiritually. When you reach that state in your life, spiritually, and you just seem to be okay, then that is the time to cry for revival. Because at that point, you have no more burning desire to be changed from glory to to glory in his image. And Second Corinthians 3.18 says. At that point. You don't have the appetite. And the hunger. To grow in grace. And in the knowledge. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have any push. No motivation. Everything is just settled. Your life is in a rut. Christian life. Secular life. And there's no more burden as it were to begin to grow more unto the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. As we see in Ephesians 4.13. They're just there. That's when you need. That's when we need. That's when the church needs a revival. That's how you can now understand Paul. That at a certain point... Even with all the exploits God had used him to do in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, he cried that I may know him. He desired more. He yearned for more. He wasn't satisfied. He said, I don't want to settle. I don't want to play to. When you are that level, and many of us, I dare say, are that level, we need a cry for revival. When we seem to become careless with God, His awesome fear and His standards, we need a revival. When we seem to be having so many programs in church, in Christendom, when we seem to be full of activities, and maybe we are belonging to many groups with little impacts, we need a revival. And you remember, it will just be like what happened in First Kings 18 when Elijah said, it is time to seek God's visitation. It's time for revival. It's time for God to visit Israel 
and purge her of idolatrous worship, and that they will now commit themselves to worship and obey only one God. Bow prophets, choose you whom you will serve. That's the prophecy this morning. Bow prophets, choose you first. Choose you your ram, choose you what to do. And the Bible said in First Kings 18, from verse 26 to 29, that the bow prophets from morning made noise. They cried. You shot Elijah out them. Cry aloud the more. And immediately after that verse, in verse 28, they cried aloud. As if by noise making or crying, they will rouse up a revival. A change. Elijah told them, perchance, your God is asleep. Or maybe he's on what? A journey. Or maybe he needs to be roused up by noise making. And the church is full of noise. Noise on the TV. Noise on the satellite. Noise on the radio, noise in town, noise with the banners. When we have such many noises around, yet little impacts in our lives and on the society, that's when we need a cry for revival. And may the Lord grant us in the name of Jesus. When man's efforts in all our endeavors and life pursuits, and especially in our spiritual work with, in our spiritual work for God now seems to be more than God's imputes, than God's intervention, than God's guide. Before you plan a program, you already know how it will end. Everything is state managed, planned to the detail. There's no room for God. Just like He says, if you bring your cup full, there's nothing for me to do what? To add. When you've already second guessed me, when you don't make room for me to come in, all is man. You plan to the detail. You determine how God will work. And the element of God's visitation and God's intervention and power is very minimal if it's there at all. Then we need revival. When immorality and sin are the order of the day, when they are bound, when they reign, when they have dominion, whether it's in our community or even in the church, as it creeping in, then brethren, that is the time that we need to cry for revival so that grace will not abound for sin to do what? Abound as well. We need a revival. We need a cry for God. When there is hardship and suffering of any and every nature, when it becomes the order of the day, as you can see it in our environment, don't we? Sometimes it's palpable. And that was what was happening in the day of Habakkuk. Then we need a cry for revival. Just like some politicians who say, none of them will be a Messiah. And none of them is a Messiah. And none of them with all their salutary promises and high falutin promises will deliver on them whether it's the present government or any other, when we see such around, then that's the time to go to God and seek a revival for our community, for our nation, for our land. When prayerlessness, the measure of your dependency and trust on God, when prayerlessness, 
in order to receive from God, to guide and direct ways when it becomes more in your life, in my life. When it sets in, then we need a revival. When the word of God becomes tepid, you know how tepid water is? It's just there. You don't have the effect of it. When the word of God becomes tepid, and just like a textbook, and you go through the word of God and come out, you have only encountered what they call the logos, written word. There's no rhema, there's no revelation, there's no touch. There is no opening of your eyes of understanding. There is no ignition in your heart. There is nothing that connects that God has spoken and it touches and changes your life. Then you need a definite cry for God to revive. When we become mildly minded and worldly inclined, and the Spirit of God seems afar, and you have seen many of it in the Scripture happen again and again. Brethren, we need a revival. When we have so much of carnal traits, carnality, living more by the world than by the standard of God, a lifestyle then so, and that's what we go by. And when we are more worldly propelled than heavenly focused, and living in the eye of eternity, then that's the time to cry for revival. When the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, instead of increasing every day, more godly lifestyle, more Christ-likeness, when that, in the children of God, in your life, in the church, when that is waning, and Christ-like life is seldom demonstrated. That's when there's a need for reviving of the true presence and the power of God. When rather the stature of littleness, the stature of emptiness, and the stature of powerlessness of our Christian life is what is more in emphasis and demonstrated. You and I, we need a revival. And may the Lord bring us revival. If these conditions are already in our lives and we know they are in the name of Jesus Christ. And when does revival come? When does it come? When there is a longing for it. When there is a readiness to pay the price and meet the conditions. When there is a readiness to submit to the Holy Spirit dealings and directives fully. The hallmark of every revival is hunger of the heart. Hunger of the heart. The heart pursuit of a personal relationship with Christ. The heart's longing for experiencing God's presence. And the heart's cry to worship God in spirit and in truth. Nothing defiling. No secret sin. No camouflage. No hypocritical lifestyle. Nothing hidden. The way Jesus will see Nathanael and say, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. In whom there is no pretense. Transparent. That's when revival comes. Revival is the product of the awakening of the heart to the power and presence of the living Christ who loves us unconditionally. That's why God says, you better wake up from a slumber and he will detest and despise being asleep and remaining the way you are. From many stories of revivals, personal revivals usually lead to church and even national 
We've seen the one in the house of apostle. The whole church was on fire. The society was in awe. And the witness of God's manifest presence was clearly demonstrated. The revival usually began with complete trust in the Lord. A profound reverence for God. A determination to overcome the social ills each revivalist saw in his generation. These revivalists transformed lives in a way that led to the transformation of communities and even nations. We can follow in these steps and have revivals in the name of Jesus Christ. What are the conditions to meet for us to have revival? Having said this, number one, deliberate creation of opportunity and time for the word of God as well as reverence for the word of God put its dedication to the word of God in Acts 6.4 the apostles wisely to bet the continuing wave of revival simply said choose any other thing go on the other administrative duties this church is growing do you know what we are going to do? See our priority? Access for. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. Isaiah 66 too. But to this man will I look. A man who is contrite and poor in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 57.15 for thus says the high and the lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with who? With high and mighty and egotistical people, with proud people, with men of renown, with men of timber and caliber, even if they are empty in terms of quantity. I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also, that is of what? A contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be angry. For the spirit should fail before me and the souls which I have made. A man that is contrite as he embraces my word. He quickly adapts, he quickly dresses, he quickly attires according to the tune of my word. The man who listens and each time he hears, he's contrite. I dwell in the high and the lofty place of spiritual revival, of touch with such people. It doesn't matter what their earthly courage may be. Acts 6 7. Look at how the word of God was described in the wave of revival that was in the first century church. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Progress to Acts chapter 12, verse 24. Acts 12, 24. What do you see there? But the word of God grew and multiplied. 
The word of God grew and multiplied. It spread. More people had heard, obeyed, listened to the word of God. It grew in measure, in lives, and in adherence of those who took it to it. Acts 19.20 So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. So mightily grew the word of God and what? Prevailed. When anything prevails, it means that is now the reigning force. It controls what happens there. The word of God not only grew and multiplied. The word of God mightily grew in the lives, homes, and the community around. And became the guiding principle of their lifestyle. Why wouldn't revival continue with them? Why would revival not be away from us if the world hasn't been this way? And look at what the effect of the world, reverential adherence to the world, brings when God has seen his people open, hungry, yearning, desirous to do the bidding of the world. Let's see one revival that took place in the time of Nehemiah who was known as a reformer. Put it another way, a revivalist. He came to build the broken world. But God allowed lives to be built up and revived on by his ministry. Because his life commanded the presence and influence of God. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spoke to Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the law had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. Upon the first day of the seventh month, he read therein before the street that was before the water gate. From the morning until when? Midday. Before the men and the women. And those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. Which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood so many others. Whose names are so mentioned. Go to verse, verse 7. Also Jeshua, Banai, and the men who were mentioned there, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place from morning till midday. They were not sitting, they were not lying down, they were people hungry, and they remained standing, so to say. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who is the Tishata, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said to all the people, This day is solely unto the Lord their God. Mourn not, nor weep. Why? For all the people did what? Wept when they heard the words of the law. Just the reading. The preaching, the explanation, the expounding of the word of God to a hungry and desirous people at a time 
standing under the sun without minding their comfort, exerted from them a weeping, a mourning, a cry of what God has said and how far they had departed from his standard. Look again, verse 13. And on the second day we are gathered together, the chiefs of the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand what again? The words of the Lord. You can see the hunger. You can see the persistence. You can see the desire. Verse 18. Also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, which was seven days, he read in the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly. According unto the manner. Friends. When we have a deliberate opening of our hearts and lives. Minds and now the spirits. For not only the word of God. But a reverential observance. Keeping of the world. That's when our lives are preparing for God's visitation. And may we have it in the name of Jesus. Secondly, a condition for revival after the word of God is being allowed to grow, to multiply, to increase, to prevail, to be the guiding reference point for all our actions, attitudes. And New Year Day, God told us from Message Bible, study God. Be eager for God knowledge. Pursue it. Let that be your primary assignment. Your secondary syllabus. And your third concern. Let the world open up. The manual for life. Spiritual and mundane. And to live successfully in the eye of God. Secondly is repentance. Repentance without reservation. Repentance means turning around from who you used to be, what you used to do, whatever keeps you out from the presence of God, back to God with sincere confession of sins, covert, covert. Everybody is burdened. It's not just a prayer group. It's not just the priest. It's not everyone. Everyone is involved. Every secrecy, every wrong dealing, not least service. Ezekiel 33, God told Ezekiel in verse 31, 32, 33. He said, these people come to you as if they are desirous and hungry. They listen to you like somebody who is singing a sweet song. And their eyes are on you, but their heart is far from me. They continue with their own ways because they do not do them. When there's a revival that become this condition of total turning to the Lord, and total attendance to him will come and become manifest in the name of Jesus Christ. And then you see that in Psalm 51, 7, he will say a broken and contrite spirit. Broken and contrite heart. Oh Lord, you will not decide. In Joel 2, 12, he says, blow the trumpets. Call a solemn assembly. We'll have several of that within this year. Perchance the Lord will also visit us, not as a result of that, but because we desire that he will. Let the priests come out from the altar. Let those who have nearly married come out. 
Let even those who are giving suck to breast to babies also come. Let the babies come. Everyone. Everyone. No exception. And then in verse 12 you say, Therefore now says the Lord, Even to you with all, Turn to the Lord with all your heart, With fasting, with weeping, with mourning, And rend your heart, And not your garment, And turn unto the Lord your God, Repenting. For he is gracious and merciful, Slow to anger, And of great kindness, And repented him, of the evil. And everyone is admonished to come. When we have that. When there is total involvement of all. When we also recognize as Luke 12 to says. That there is nothing hidden before him. With whom we have to do. There is nothing covered before him. Everything is bare before him. And in Isaiah 29. 15, 16. Isaiah 29, 15, 16, we see here some of our impressions sometimes that will also need to give way for a revival to come. Woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? Surely, their turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. Or shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing frame, the say of him that framed it, he has no understanding? So, the person comes out from the dark, from the secret enclaves, from the dark recesses of our lives and our heart, and we pour them all out in the open. And revival comes, and the condition is met, when we now see an outpour of confession, both for yourself and for others as well. Both for you, family, and the others. When you just stay like that man, the Pharisee, and not like the others. I didn't commit this sin. I didn't go with that one. The revival in a family will never manifest. Not to talk of a church. Because that man still has a spirit that is not broken and open. Look at the kind of prayer that comes in repentance with revival in the ushering. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 6. Nehemiah prayed, Let your ear now be attentive, and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. Inclusion. Seven, we have dealt very corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which you commanded your servant Moses, and on and on. Inclusion, no segregation. He's involved. His fathers had long died. His forefathers had long died. But in praying for a revival, a visitation at the present moment when you are alive, he's saying whatever else had happened by others before we came into stage, and others who are not here, Lord is also involving us. Here, forgive. The same manner of prayer Daniel took on himself. We just take Daniel chapter 9, look at the same. So God is consistent. When you and I arise like this, Praying inclusive prayer 
prayers of intercession. Selfless prayer that asks God to remove everything that is alien to his nature. Forgive every minute sin. That's the second condition that God usually looks for in a revival. Daniel 9.3 And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned. I am involved. You don't pray a self-righteous prayer in revival to come. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from your precepts and from your judgments. Neither have we hearkened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day, to the men of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries where you have driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against you. O Lord, to us belongs confusion of faith to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. That's a passionate, involved prayer, crying unto God. And immediately after this response, by the time we read verses 21-22, the Lord brought an answer. He said, the time of visitation is near. Your prayer and your intercession has borne fruit. You will return to your land soon. Praise the Lord. No wonder Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, will say, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is what? Any wicked, any slight of departure from you. And please, lead me in the path everlasting. Message Bible puts part of it and says, Investigate me, Lord. Investigate me. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. And in the lawyer's term, cross-examine me and test me. When I'm clean, then we will have revival in Jesus' name. When I'm clean of secret sins, secret faults, backbiting, malice, envy, hatred. When I'm pure and clean from them, I can expect a visitation. May that be you and I in the name of Jesus Christ. And the third manifest condition, as we have already alluded to, is intense, earnest, heartfelt prayers with a burden that lasts and never ebbs. Deep realization that only God and only the Spirit of God can do it, can change, can bring a turn around. Not organization, not any of our programs, not our intellect. That's why one of our texts that also bears revival has that burden of prayer clearly written there. Look at Psalm 85. Look at verse 5 there. And the prayer of the psalmist, will you be angry with us forever? Will you draw out your anger to all generations? Will you now revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? 
Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. May we have this turn of prayer again and again in the name of Jesus. And in Isaiah 62 verse 1, we will see, For Zion's sake, for Jerusalem's sake, I will not hold my peace until there is a breaking forth, until there is a visitation, until there is a reviving. May we have that burden and may the Lord visit us in the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, we can have revival now. We can have revival this year. We can have revival this season. We can have revival this period. The Lord can visit us again in His mighty power and presence and glory. And our lives one by one and as a church will not be the same again in the name of Jesus. When there is a spark of desire from us, one person, two people, intense, desirous, the Lord will visit. And when He does, it not only touches us, it changes all that is around us. And when the wave of revival is around, the spiritual, the material, the physical, the miraculous, the power of God, personal and group, as well as the purity and joy and peace of the Holy Ghost, they will be evident in our lives. And people will note and take it on, even in the society, in the name of Jesus Christ. In a community, small village, just a church, and two elderly women, Said we are old, we can't be linked to activity group, we can't move around much, we can't bound up and down like young people, we can't move. Our days of very active moving around are over. Two women, relatives, sisters, elderly, said they were around their seventies or eighties, I think eighties. And they said, all we can do for this church and this village is to give ourselves to prayer. And day after day, night after night, as Nehemiah said, God, visit this church, visit this village, visit this community. And they said, keep praying, earnest, not relenting. The Lord assured them, I am coming. Revival is coming. And they ran out and told the pastor like we are. And said, Pastor, revival is breaking out. Build more benches. Here will not contain all of us. By the time God breaks out in revival. Pastor said, these ones we have, we have not occupied them fully yet. Are we building more benches? But they persisted. And they pressed. And he built more benches. And no sooner than he had finished building more benches. Did revival break out in that church, in that community? The benches were filled up and spilled over. I end by reading to you real life events and observed, observed, and I'm sure some of you, because I googled it down, I have heard about that community over and over again, time without number. And as this message was coming on, it just talked on me to Google that community. I asked my son to get down. The things that concerned Alma Longa. There were a number of testimonies of the effect of revival in a community. Kickstarted in a church. You will hear the evidence yourself, you said. And I just decided to pick one to share with us. 
Around 1974-75 into the 80s, that's about 40 years now we're talking about, in Alma Longa. Alma Longa is in Guatemala. Guatemala. What do you hear about Guatemala when you watch the news? Pardon? Pardon? Drugs. Corruption. Poverty. Hunger. Even in the present day. But let's listen to this testimony. This was as far back as January 2004. That is about 24 years after the revival had broken out. And by a missionary, American minister, a lady, Carol Madison. I'll just read. I'll just read. May God use it to provoke the desire for revival in our personal church and community lives in you and myself in the name of Jesus. Featured on the Transformation One video, you can get Transformation One, Alma Longa, you see the video there. As a community that had experienced amazing revival and transformation through the power of prayer, I wanted to come and see with my own eyes and experience what truly could happen if God's people called out to him and sought him for transformation and revival. Background of Alma Longa. The Transformation One video describes Amalanga as a city of 19,000 people that has been completely transformed through prayer over the last 15 to 20 years. This account was being given in 2004, 15, 20 years after the revival had broken out in that community and ongoing up to then and up to date is still relevant. Once known for idolatry, drunkenness, poverty, and abuse, the city is now known for prosperity and blessing at the hand of God. Where there were once more than 30 bars, drinking parlors, drinking joints, there are now more than 30 churches. The four jails, which were once not enough to hold all the prisoners, are now closed because there is no need for them. The police carry no guns. They carry only whistles to direct traffic. This is especially unusual for this area because most banks and stores are guarded by police and security people with loaded rifles. Something you see all over Guatemala. But here, all they have is whistles. But most amazing is the healing of the land. Amalonga is now known as the Valley of Miracles. And the people now ship vegetables of amazing size and quality all around the world. Amalonga is the complete fulfillment of Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 to 15. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. That's Second Chronicles 7, 14, 15. Whereas in the American church where this writer and observer came from, we might want to know what program they developed, what books they read 
or what strategies they used effectively to reach this place of transformation and revival. The people of Amalonga have nothing to offer along those lines. They can only offer the example of humility and prayer. Their sacrifices and their absolute dependence upon God. As their pastor, Moriano, whom God used to begin the revival process, said, there is no program. It is all about humbling ourselves and praying. That is the message we heard over and over again. That's it. There's nothing more to try to figure out. If we are praying and seeking God alone, He will show us everything we need to know about the path to transformation and revival. Now, at the marketplace, the people began unloading the trucks and literally running with huge loads on their backs of cabbages, carrots, radishes, beets, and other vegetables. We began to see the dramatic sizes of produce that we have seen in the video. Again, nothing was exaggerated. The cabbages, do we know cabbages? The cabbages were the size of basketballs. The carrots as long and wide as a man's arm. The beets, the size of softballs. And radishes, the size of your fists. We were overwhelmed at what we were seeing. And it wasn't just the size, it was the abundance. I have never seen so much produce at one time. Pies and pies, bag after bag. It was hard to believe that all of this was coming from the small plots of land we saw in the valley. Each of these plots of land, found by individual families, produced several cycles of crops, apparently a 1,000% increase over what they had previously known. As a comparison, we looked at the vegetable in the other cities nearby including Quetzaltenango, which was just two miles away. We bought carrots in Amalonga and Antigua, just to compare. The comparison is actually laughable, because it wells up joy in your heart, as you see the dramatic difference. So this village of 19,000 people became an exporter internationally of these produces, products. That was now their major export. Interaction with the people of Amalanga. We had so many wonderful interactions with the people on the streets and in the farm fields of Amalanga. I noticed two prevalent and consistent characteristics of the people. Humility and joy. Without exception, these people were humble servants filled with the joy of the Lord. We also were impressed with how over and over again the people gave all the glory to God for the things he had done in their lives. Everyone had a story of what God had done for them. When we asked the farmers about their crops, no one spoke of farming principles. They all immediately pointed up to God and gave him the praise for the abundance. I thought about the marketplace and businesses in America. And how rarely, even among believers, is God giving all the glory and credit. We usually talk first about our marketing strategies, or our skills and production techniques. Perhaps 
That is because we base our business on those things first and then ask God to bless it. Perhaps we have not experienced such incredible abundance that we can give glory to God alone. The policeman in the market, we asked him why he didn't carry a gun, which was so common in the rest of Guatemala. He responded, we have no need for guns in Amalanga. He then blew his whistle for us as a demonstration of the only thing the police use in the city. Principles and observation of revival, transformation, as we noted here. As I have reflected on our trip, there are some key principles and transformation that I observe. One, when God's transformational power and presence are truly present, it cannot be denied in both the physical and spiritual realms. When we showed people in Antigua the difference between the Akaros and the Karos of our Malanga, the people in Antigua could only be impressed and amazed. They could offer no other explanation. And when a place has been spiritually transformed, you cannot deny the joy and peace of the people. Without even being able to speak the language, you can still see it in their faces and sense it in their lives. God's presence is undeniable when it is truly filling a place. The principles of 2 Corinthians 7, 14-15, when applied and obeyed, if we are to hope for the outcome of a healed land and the attentiveness of God to our prayers, it's not about the latest church growth book. It is not a great marketing strategy. It is not just the right programming. It is about the heart. It is about repentance. It is about brokenness, praying, turning, and seeking God. In the end, we shall have his visitation. Secondly, revival is not even always evidence or defined by powerful worship music, profound sermons, miraculous wonders, or large congregations. Although all these things may be present, they are not necessarily the indicators of revival. True revival, true transformation is evidenced in the community and all of society. And not just within the confines of the church. When a society has been revived and touched and transformed, it touches families, government, the marketplace, the land, and individual hearts. Revival is not just about going and receiving an anointing from somewhere else and bringing it back. True revival and transformation comes when we see ourselves willing to follow Second Chronicles 7.14 principles. We must stay humble ourselves and pray. Seek God on our own behalf. And allow for our own desperation for him to grow in us. This is not about receiving an instantaneous gift to bring back. Again, it is about our own hearts. Prayer does not need to be complicated or orchestrated in any particular way. We are surprised to learn that they pray only for about an hour in the middle of the night. But that is a typical standard for their corporate prayer. I admit, I was expecting to hear more about all-night prayer meetings, 24-hour prayer vigils. Obviously, the prayer has become a constant lifestyle for them in their own lives and in their families. Again, it is not even about the time spent and the prayer techniques used. It is about the heart. And towards the end, he said, Pastor Moriona made it clear that revival and transformation have a personal cost attached to it. It's well worth the sacrifice when God responds in blessing and abundance. 
The core value of a revived and transformed person is humility. Transformation cannot happen in any other way. Because it is only through humility that we repent and declare our dependence upon God. You cannot one day just decide to become humble. It requires a constant heart attitude of seeking God for that humility. Asking him to reveal sin. And choosing to put yourself completely under his rule, guide and authority. Walking in absolute humility is what attracts the presence of God. God cannot resist a lowly, contrite and humble heart. As he says in Isaiah 57, 15. Our prayer and my prayer is that I learn to walk in humility. And embrace the revival and transformational principles in my own life. Shall we and I pray? Shall we bow our heads to pray? We definitely need a revival. We definitely need a fresh visitation of God. The times of refreshing. The Lord wants to await and come. The Lord wants to visit and go with as many. Who will wake up from their sleep and slumber. And come with their cups empty. Hungry. Yearning. Praying. Desirous. Freed of hell entanglements. And taking up the word of God to not only grow, prevail, and multiply, as well as dominate their lives. Tell the Lord, that's my desire. Open your mouth and pray. Lord, revive me. Visit me anew. Empower me. Include me. I have conditions that make me desire for your revival, for your fresh fire, for your touch. For an awakening to raise to the standard or the measure of growth of the fullness, the knowledge of Christ. Lord, revive me. Revive my family. Revive this church. Revive our land. Revive our nation. And as you do, Lord, bring healing to our land. If the Lord could use a man, Pastor Morena, in our Malanga, and the church... We will read another version of that if time permits next time. Out of the 19,000 inhabitants of that church, of that town, about 90% were reputed to have surrendered their lives to Christ. And the Lord broke out and impacted their community, impacted their endeavors, impacted their crops, made them known in a land rife with abuse, fraud, corruption, and every form of drug addiction and idolatry. The Lord has done it in a nation and a country and a city that is still existent. He will do it in our time in the name of Jesus. He will do it in our lives in the name of Jesus. He will do it in our families in the name of Jesus. Lord, do it in this church in the name of Jesus. That is our plea. That is our desire. May every heart here burning, yearning, never be satiated with the level where we are until we have a time of refreshing visitation. Your power, your presence, your miracles, your demonstrable all again in our lives in the name of Jesus. Burning a flame. Father, that is our desire. Lord, that is our cry. Lord, that is our desire in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that in every aspect of our listlessness, of our worldliness, of our waywardness, of our not sticking to your standards and your glory, 
Father, minute as they are, big as they seem, Father, forgive. Father, cleanse. Father, for us as individuals here, we pray for this church. We pray for our land, Nigeria. Lord Almighty, because when you touch us and you visit, you are not a partial God. You will let the flame reflect around, even this nation. Father, forgive us for our land and sins and turn us again unto you and bring a time of visitation to our people, to our hearts, to our lives, to our businesses, to our economy. In the name of Jesus Christ, may there be a revival in this land of Nigeria this year. A reviving of our potential and strength. A revival, Lord, of our status in the committee of nations. A revival of the fear of God. In sincerity of heart. Of probity of life, character, and service. In the name of Jesus Christ. But begin with us, O God. Begin with us, O God. Begin with us, O God. Begin with us as families and as a church. And Lord Almighty, may we witness your visitation all around. And may we not contain it all. Because your grace will be made manifest upon us. And the earnest expectation of the creature is groaning. Attentively waiting. That your touch upon us may influence them. May your word grow. Multiply. Spread. Prevail in our lives. In our ministry. In our daily work. And may there be a heart that is transparently clean before you. And as long, Lord, may there be a breakout of your visitation in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that there shall be a reparation. There shall be a reviving of every other area as we have believed you and prayed. Even at the beginning of this year, everyone shall stand up to their potential all around in the name of Jesus Beginning with our personal relationship with you, our work with you, our demonstration of obedience to your word, our work in the society. Lord, there shall be a difference of your touch upon our lives. From the suckling babes, to the toddlers, to the infants, to the young people, the teens, the adolescents, Lord, the young adults, Lord, even the adults, working and retired, and the elderly ones. There shall be a mass of your touch upon our lives, O God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, and thank you for your mercy. Is there anyone in this congregation or has the power? Who, as this message was going on, the Spirit of God was telling you, My son, give me your heart. My daughter, surrender to me. You had worked every of the other years, including 2019 that had just passed, in your own terms, at your own wisdom, at your own level. Surrender to me, that the life of sin and the garment stained may be washed away. And receive the garments of salvation, of purity, garments to be made my son. And you want to admit that you want to repent of your sin and past life and embrace God and let him be at the center. If that's you, please kindly raise your hand where you are. Let's pray together with you. We do not miss opportunities to present salvation, the greatest miracle. And the first point of visitation of God to any man again. So if it's you, don't go this year further 
without Christ, without assurance that you are found in him, without assurance that your name is written in the book of heaven. If you don't have that assurance, and you know you are here, and you know yourself, just raise your hand where you are. Let's pray together with you. That's a vital part of being revived and going on with the Lord. God bless you. Please repeat this prayer after me with all your heart. Sincerely, Lord Jesus, I thank you. You love me. You died on the cross. You paid the price for my sins. I'm sorry for my sin and my past life. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Write my name in the book of life. And give me the power to be the child of God. Thank you. As you hear me, in Jesus' name, Amen. Father, as many as receive you, with all their hearts, an act of faith, you give them the power that happens miraculously of the first visitation to a heart, a revived life, a heart and a life that is awakened to your principles and prudence. Lord, may that be the portion of your son now in the name of Jesus. May all things pass away and all things become new. And lead him in this new journey of a walk with you the rest of the years of his life. Write his name in the book of life and grant him, Lord, a walk with you like never before. I will present him holy and blameless before you all the days of his life doing exploits. Thank you as you answer concerning him. In Jesus' name we pray.